good morning, Portico. Ushers, can you help us out this morning? If you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real high. And as our ushers make their way through the room, we'll hand the Bible out to you. If you're joining us online this morning, welcome to Portico. Get your electronic device out. You can look up uversion.com. Look for live events, Mississauga. You can take notes that way. You can follow the text that way. Or if you'd like, just grab one of our bulletins here, and we also have note outlines for you. Ushers, thanks so much for helping us out that way. Well, we're getting over to Romans chapter 12, and we're wrapping up our series called Authentic. And we've been looking at what are the key indicators of the authentic followers of Jesus. Now, here's what we know. Anybody who is buying something of value, if you're going to buy an antique or a collectible and you want to pay the money, you want to make sure you get a letter of certification, right? You don't just randomly agree and just buy it because somebody said it's going to be a, it's an authentic piece. One of the things we love about the antique roadshow is you find people who get really, really surprised by authentic items and other people who bought items they thought were authentic and they found out not so much. So when it comes to being a follower of Jesus... Wouldn't it be great if somebody could just give us a letter of certification going, that's what it is to be authentic? Well, to give you an understanding, if you're joining us today, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, is where the Bible unveils, reveals for us what I believe are the key indicators as to how we know how we're tracking as followers of Jesus. So I'm going to read this morning. I want you to follow along and listen carefully. And, and you know, if you've been following Jesus for a while... Uh, or maybe you're just considering faith, just sort of do the checklist. How are you doing? And if somebody had to write a, a letter of certification on my life, on your life, would we match up to this list? Here's what it says. So Paul writes, he said, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual server serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. Now, it's a very interesting list. You know, we talked about generosity last week, and we're going to wrap it up, as I mentioned, this morning, and this is going to be our summary week. But it's the two words at the end of that text, which sort of caught me off guard a little bit, where the Bible says that we are to practice hospitality. And hospitality isn't what I would normally throw on the list of certification for being a very authentic follower of Jesus. Because it's not something I immediately think of. I don't know about you, but I don't automatically go, oh yeah, you know, to be hospitable is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I began to think through my life, and I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever heard an entire message or a teaching on this aspect of hospitality. I've heard snippets, you know, little references and teachings that way, but I've never really heard somebody take and explain this concept of hospitality and look at it in terms of what does this look like in my life as a follower of Jesus. Now, I may have heard a message. I've got to be fair here. I may have heard a message, and I might have forgotten the message. I know you never forget my messages. What did we talk about last week? Oh, you're killing me. All right. No, uh, generosity, by the way, just a little you know, insight for you. We tend to forget sometimes what we hear, but I began to think back through my life, and I, I really do believe, I don't think anybody's ever talked about hospitality as a solo part of a message, particularly when you look at it. Now, when I think about hospitality, and maybe you do too, I tend to group it over out in sort of that good manners, common courtesy, you know, just common sense category. Like, well, of course you should be hospitable. It's what good people do. It's what Canadians are known for. 
That would have been a good moment for you right there. You could have just jumped on that and go, yeah, we're just such a great country, aren't we? We are. And it's sort of where we throw it, but I'm not sure we fully appreciate hospitality as it relates to how it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We love hospitality when it's shown towards us, but the Bible challenges us that we are to be people who show hospitality to others. So I would venture to guess the majority of us have not done a real deep dive on this to fully understand its implication for our lives. I love the story of one pastor. He was teaching his congregation on this, and he was really trying to drive the point home, wanted them to become more hospitable as well. Good thing to do. So he'd been teaching on it, and he realized, you know, teaching maybe isn't enough. I better start living this out. I better practice this, and I'm going to set an example for the people. So what he did is uh, he would randomly drop in and visit church people. So one Saturday morning, he's in his car, and he saw one of the homes with church family, church members, and he decided, I'm going to drop in and visit them unannounced. Car in the driveway. He could see there were lights on in the house. He knew somebody was home. So he goes up to the front door. He rang the doorbell. No answer. Rang it again. No answer. Then he finally knocked on the door because he thought, well, maybe the doorbell isn't working. He pounded on the door, waited. Nobody answered. Took a business card out, and he wrote on the back of his business card just a scripture reference, Revelation 3.20. And if you're new to the Bible, it says, you know, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I'd come in and have a meal with them. Slipped it in the door. I thought, well, that's kind of a neat way to encourage them. Sunday comes, that same business card is dropped into the offering plate. And this time, it has Genesis 3.10 written on it. Well, the ushers give it to the pastor because it's his card. He looks at Genesis 3.10, and the Genesis 3.10 references, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So I'm not, I'm not advocating that we start hospitality this way, all right? Just to be clear. But hospitality is something that we deeply need to consider. And there's some biblical considerations, so I want to give them to you. Take your notes out. Let's talk about it this morning. Here's the first thing I want all of us to leave today with, understanding that hospitality is not a decision. It's a directive. See, decisions usually are based on we evaluate, we understand how we feel, what are the circumstances, what's the context, do I want to do this? But the Bible doesn't give us the latitude around hospitality to be a decision. The Bible teaches us hospitality, it's a directive. It's what we need to do. So if your Bible's still open, I'm going to encourage you to leave it open today because there are a couple of verses I want us to look at. But Romans chapter 12 Verse 13, here's what Paul wrote to the believers, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to practice hospitality. Now, sometimes when it comes to these authentic indicators, we treat it a little bit like we do with a fast food menu at the restaurant. You know, we walk in, we look at the big display board, and we go, oh, I kind of like this. So I'll take an order of love. I'll take a side of joy. I'll take a little bit of generosity. I'm going to skip the patience and maybe a little bit of hospitality. But the Bible teaches us that it's all together. It's the full meal deal. It's all in. You can't pick and choose when it comes to this. Authentic followers of Jesus practice hospitality. So when you start to drill it down a little bit, you go, well, what is it then? Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible was originally written, so the Old Testament was, of course, in Hebrew, and then the New Testament was in Greek. And then what we do is we have translators that have taken those words, translated it into English, And we read our various English translations, and we try to get an understanding of the Bible. And it does a really good job for the most part. One of the things that we have a little bit of difficulty with is we lose the nuance of culture sometimes when we translate words. 
So when you look at the word hospitality, I mean, immediately in my mind, I just, you know, think of the perfect setting and the meal and the food and the people that are coming over. But I started to drill down a little bit, and I realized this word is a very, very rich word scripturally. And if it's, an, if it's a directive, not a decision, what's behind the word? Well, if you go to the original language, what you're going to find is the word is a combination. There's two words brought together this way. So you've got this word in the original language. The word is philiozenos, philio being uh, brotherly love, and then over here, xenos. Now, when you bring those words together, let me show you what happens. The Bible talks about love. So we have an English word that we use for the word love, but the Bible uses three different words. So in Greek, there was this word, you could have agape, unconditional love. You could have eros, which was erotic or intimate love, or you could have philio, which is a brotherly love. So all of them translate love for us, but it's important to know which version they were trying to describe. So philio is brotherly love. It's the bond that ties a family together. You do love your family, right? One of us. Good. All right. Just checking. Because, you know, even though we fought growing up, I love my brothers. And so, so the writer, Paul, uses his word brotherly love. So he goes, you need to have this filio, this love. And now the word xenos is the word translated, it would be best translated for us, strangers. So what Paul was saying when we translate hospitality, he goes, you need to have a brotherly love for strangers. I didn't say strange people. I said strangers, because we all met strange people, right? So he's teaching the believers, this is powerful. He goes, if you're a follower of Jesus, love must be sincere. An authentic follower of Jesus will have a brotherly love towards strangers. And a brotherly love means I will do everything in my power to care for you, to support you, to encourage you. I will have your back. And he goes, Get this, it's not just towards the ones that I know, it's the ones I don't know. So he really drives us into this understanding that if we're to be the church and we're to be the followers of Jesus, we're called to be, that we will open the horizons of our heart and allow our love to flow out towards people that are seeking and need empathy and love and support and care. Our our Western culture, you know, this aspect of hospitality I've had the privilege of traveling, so I've traveled in a number of different regions of the world, and it has always amazed me the hospitality I experience when I travel that we don't respond with or we don't represent so well in our Western culture. And many of you come from countries, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you stop and you greet somebody, you get into a 10-minute hello, hello, hello conversation before you can carry on with what you're doing. And we tend to just like, hi, see ya, and move on again. There is a deeply embedded value for hospitality in these cultures. Marcus Luttrell discovered this and the power of what it is to have hospitality. If you don't know the name, some of you would know his book or his movie. It's called Lone Survivor. He was one of four Navy SEALs in 2005 that was sent into Afghanistan to track down a leading al-Qaeda terrorist. And the, the military had sent them in, and their job was to either take them out or bring them back. And that was their job. Three of his comrades were killed in that trip. Marcus, they shot at it. Terror shot at him with an exploding grenade. It propelled him off of a cliff, and he was seriously wounded, and he landed down at the bottom of the cliff. Six Al-Qaeda terrorists were following him. He crawled for 11 kilometers through the forest. He was encountered by the Pashun tribe, and when they saw him, they took him back to their village where the law of hospitality 
wasn't a recommendation. It was a directive. And they surrounded this man. They cared for his wounds. They made sure that they nurtured him. And when the, uh, the terrorists made their way in towards that village, the villagers refused to give him up. See, they're raised in a culture that even the stranger among you is worthy of your hospitality. And that's not just a meal. They were willing, and Marcus writes this in his book, they were willing to die for him, to lay their lives down to protect him. That's the tenacity. That's the intentionality that comes out of this expression here. And it's that same emotion that you find when Paul writes this, and he goes, I want you to practice hospitality. I want you to love strangers. And we know that within the context of the church, we're talking about people that were moving because of persecution and they were being forced out of their homes and they were being sent off into remote parts of the then known world. So he's going, this is how we do this for one another. Jesus would actually pick up and convey this very same sentiment. And he would actually talk about the blessing that comes, that as followers of Jesus, if we will care for people. He said, you know, if you give a a cup of cold water in my name, if you give a person a meal, if you visit the sick, if you visit those in prison. So he tells this beautiful story through a parable of what it would be like, and he says, and you know, you're going to be blessed for that, and the king is going to bless you because of this. But it's how he ends that we often skip the last part, because we love to talk about the beginning part of what's going to happen for those that do this. But Jesus in that parable also talks about for those who don't give a cup of cold water, those who don't practice hospitality. It's, in, it's there in your notes. Matthew 25, 41. Look how he ends the story where the king says, get away from me for you are under God's curse. That you had the opportunity to actually to be hospitable and you didn't do that. See, this whole area of hospitality, it's not a decision. It's a directive. We don't look at the person and see if they qualify based upon our assessment of their situation. What the Bible teaches us is we of all people are the most hospitable. We should be because of God's hospitality demonstrated towards us. So when we practice hospitality, we're simply modeling what our Heavenly Father has done for us. Well, let me just take a moment and describe one other area here before we move on. It's the word practice. That word practice is often, you know, we think about athletes who want to get better at their sport. So if you're going to basketball, you're going to go out and shoot a few hoops and try to get a little bit better at your game. Or if you're a golfer, you'll go down to the driving range, get a bucket of balls and practice your swing. So we all these imageries of practice that we relate to. But this word is a little bit different. There is a deep, deep, deep intensity and intentionality with this word. So when the Bible puts these two words together, if your, in fact, if your Bibles are open, would you look at Romans chapter 12 for me right now? And look at verse 14. Because Paul writes this, he says, Bless those who, what's the word? Persecute you. So what's that got to do with practice hospitality? If you could look again at the nuance of the structure, the same emotion that's put in the word practice, it is tethered to the word persecute. So Paul, is tie- he's tying two things together very intentionally. He goes, just as you know what it is to be hunted down and persecuted, so I want you to practice hospitality. It's like a hunter in pursuit of the prey. So when you're thinking about a hunter who just is very, very intentional and really stealthy and does everything he needs to do in order to pursue the prey, that's what it is to practice hospitality. I was trying to think, you know, how do I illustrate this today, uh, this whole area of practice? And then I got it. Some of you, when it comes to Boxing Day sales, you're like this. 
You get all the flyers out. You get all the specials out. You get everything like You fill the car up with gas. You fill up the Visa card. You're ready to go. You're ready to practice your shopping skills. Well, that's what the Bible talks about here. That's the same kind of intensity that the skill that we put into this is to be intentional about everything that we do. So Paul, one who used to persecute the church and one who is now being persecuted, he ties these thoughts together and he goes, if you're a follower of Jesus, hospitality is a directive, not a decision. And he goes, and I want you to do this with full intentionality in your heart. Well, here, look at another second biblical consideration in your notes. Hospitality, we discover, is also part of your spiritual formation. What it means to be spiritually formed, to grow as a Jesus follower, it means that when we practice hospitality, hospitality is actually forming who we are, our character in Christ. So two references, just write them in your notes. 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8. So these two references come out of the leadership qualification list. So churches, when they plan to put leaders into place, whether board members or elders or pastors, there's a little criteria list that Paul gave to the church. And he goes, one of the words that he used was this word, make sure your leaders are hospitable. Don't let anybody serve in positions of leadership unless they have this practice of hospitality. So he was so intentional. He goes, that's the type of leader. Why did he say that? Because where the leader is, so will come the people. And if your leaders are practicing and leading it out, then the people together and the church is going to be everything that God designed the church to be. Now, I think in our Western culture, we get this sort of mixed up a bit. I think we confuse entertaining with hospitality. Here's the difference. Entertaining is all about you as a host. It's all about, you know, has, is your house clean? Is everything perfect? Have you got a lot of food spread out? Have you got, are your guests going to come in and they're going to compliment you? And then at the end when they leave, are they going to say nice things about their experience with you? So everything about that experience is on you as a host. That's throwing a party. That's what that is. And you want to make sure. And so you check the list. And if somebody doesn't say something nice, then they don't get invited back. So they're not on your list. That's what we do to entertain. Hospitality is when we're not quite so worried about how the house looks. And we're not worried about what people say about us. Hospitality is when we go, I want to give you a listening ear. I want to give you the benefit of having my heart and full attention for a few moments in your time. And it's not just about location. I'm not just talking about our homes. I'm talking about a state of mind, a state of spirit, the way we live, that we encounter people and we are hospitable to them. So that when people come up to us, they know that we are concerned about them with all of our interests. Well, why do I share that? Because Paul said, show brotherly love, practice brotherly love even towards strangers. Did you know that you don't even need to just open up your house to practice hospitality? That the one thing that I love about being a big church is people can come from all walks of life and all kinds of backgrounds. But one of the difficult parts of being a big church is that we often don't know all the people who attend our church. So I would venture to say, everybody here on my left-hand side, I bet you don't even know who sits over here on my right-hand side, do you? And those of you on the right-hand side, you probably don't know who's over here because we tend to move towards the seat that we normally sit in. Some of you have been in those seats so long, the impression from your little pant and your skirt logo is embedded on that chair. 
you've, you've just never moved out of that spot. I watch you every way. It's an amazing thing. We're like ants. We all kind of move in and we move towards and woe to the person who sits in your chair. I'll talk about that later. So just, just queuing you up, people. So we tend to not know each other. I love being in a big church because you don't have to race out at the end of the service. We put the coffee on so you can grab a coffee and you can actually be hospitable to someone you don't know. And you never really know who the person is that's going to practice the hospitality because you might be in need of a listening ear. You might need somebody to hear about what's going on in your heart and in your life and the difficulty that you're going through. And it could just be that that stranger is going to open their heart to be hospitable towards you. Does it make sense? So this is where the Bible says it's part of what our spiritual formation is. Jesus, in Luke chapter 14, I put it there in your notes, Jesus said this to those that would plan to host events. He goes, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What was he saying? He goes, you know, the spiritual formation, what God is doing in you when you're hospitable, when you open up your home, you open up your heart, you open up your life. He goes, don't go to the ones that you assume are going to reciprocate. He said, go to the ones that seem to be off in the fringe, on the peripheral. And when you do that, God's going to remember that, and God's going to bless you for taking care of them. Peter would say this, 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So if it's a directive, and we know it's part of our spiritual formation, then why is God so concerned that we of all people practice hospitality? Not just so that we can say, well, there it is. I'm an authentic follower of Jesus. Why is God so concerned? Here's a third observation. I got it in your notes for you. Write this one down. Hospitality enables you to participate in the mission of God. Hospitality enables you to participate in the mission of God. We see this all through Scripture. God is concerned so that he knows that we are living in the same expression of love and care that he lives and demonstrates towards us. So really what hospitality is, it is the outflow of God's grace from my life, evidencing that God is at work within me, and the same for you, that God is at work within you. That's a high, high value for us at the church here. So 10 years ago, believe it or not, it was 10 years ago this past January, those who've been on the journey with us, that we changed the name of the church. Now, our previous name had served us well, and it served through a period of time, but we recognized that our society was changing, that understanding was changing, and we wanted to choose a name that would be very, very intentional about the fact that we were committed to serving God's mission in this world. So we started to look at different names. We had a group of people that were working together and reflecting on different kinds of names. And when the word portico came into play and we began to understand what portico is, we went, that's the name. Now, there's two things I love about this. Now, first, let me explain what portico is because some of you are going, yeah, why did you choose the name portico? Where did that come from? And I still get that question today. And uh, portico, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament to the time of the building of the temple in Jerusalem, there was the temple where the Holy of Holies, where once a year the high priest could go in. 
Then there was a holy place where the priests would serve. And then there was the area, the courtyard, where the men were allowed to go. And then there was a barrier outside, and women were allowed to go up into that region. Then there was another barrier which limited so Gentiles couldn't go past that barrier, all on the same property, all in the temple area. And then all around the building was a portico on the inside, colonnades with the ceiling over the top. And in the portico, everybody was welcome. Women and men could mingle together. Jews and Gentiles could mingle together. Foreigners would come in. They would meet with locals. That was the one area in the temple where everybody was loved, accepted, and welcomed. You didn't have to worry about whether you came from some far country and you were just coming into Jerusalem. You could make your way in, and that's where you would be loved, accepted, and welcomed. When we understood the name, that portico means a place of entrance and a place of welcoming, we went, that's who we are. That's what we want to be. We want to be a church, whether it's in our venues, our expressions, our campuses. When people come here, they just feel loved and accepted and welcomed. Don't we? Three, four, five. Don't we? Yeah, we do. Because we all long to feel that way. All right, let me come back to the chairs for a moment. So, next week, Ravi's on his way here. So what's going to happen is if you're not on time, there is a very real possibility that somebody is going to be seated in your chair. Can I clear something up for you? It's not your chair. We all good right now? It's not your chair. I know you may have etched your initials on the back. I know that, you know, your label may be embedded in the seat cushion. It's, if you need a chair, see me after church. I'll sell you a chair if you need a chair. We have venues and campuses that are wide open. In fact, it would do some of you good to move around in the room a little bit just to get, you would be like in a brand new country if you moved because you'd meet brand new people that you've never met before. So here's what I want to make sure we're very clear. Not just next Sunday, never, never, ever, ever in Portico do I ever want anybody to walk into our church, take a seat and have somebody come up to them and tap them on the shoulder and go, excuse me, that's my chair. No, because if you do that, I'm going to have our ushers bring you over to my chair. And you will sit with me and maybe have to speak on a Sunday. No, we don't do that. Why? We want everybody. So I don't, it doesn't matter if you're in the chapel, in the video cafe, if you're in the live room. The only place you have permission to call your chair, those of you online right now, you're at home, enjoy your chair. We're not going to take it away from you. But all the rest of us, this is wide open territory. Everybody good? I love you, Pastor. Well, that was really weak. One, two, three, give it to me. Okay, yeah, 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 there we go. This is so important to God. Go back to your notes and look what it says in Leviticus 19. God was really serious about this. He said, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God reminds us. He goes, there was a time that you were so far from me And now you're in my grace and in my love. He goes, practice hospitality. Let anyone who is far from God be given priority in your world so that they know that there's a God who loves them. And the way they're going to know there's a God who loves them is because I practice it, you practice hospitality. That means maybe shuffling over two or three or four chairs 
It means maybe just saying, it's okay, you can sit there, I'll sit down. Did you ever notice we have reserved seating at the front, nobody takes up except these dear friends of mine over on my left-hand side, and my wife who married me, and my staff members who have to be there. They don't, but they do choose to sit there. If you want the best seats in the house, by the way, come on down to the front. They're wonderful. You're in spitting distance when you get down here, so just a thought. Anyhow, practicing hospitality invites us to participate in the mission of God. Go back to your notes, and here's what we find. John wrote to the believers, and he said, did you know when people travel and you put them up and you love them and you care for them? At the end of this section in 1 John, uh, uh, 3 John, here's what we read. It says this. We must support people like them so that we can take part in what they're doing to spread the truth. Key words. We take part in what they're doing. God says when you practice hospitality, you're actually engaged in mission with me. You're making a difference. And we knew it was crucial. If you go back into the early church, it was critical. It's what caused exponential growth in the early church because the church was persecuted. People were sent out into different regions and they had no idea where they were going, no idea how to rebuild a life. And all of a sudden, believers in those regions would go, I don't know who you are, but I know you love God. Come on into my home. We're going to help you get on your feet. We're going to get you established. We're going to take you to church with us. They happen to be home churches. We're going to bring you into our homes. And we have a home church where we're going to love you and we're going to feed you and we're going to nurture you. And your life is just going to dramatically change. Wow. Jesus said, even the foxes have dens and the birds of the air have nests. He goes, I have nowhere to lay my head. So he depended on the hospitality of Peter and his mother-in-law. Stayed over at their home. Mary and Martha and Lazarus gave him a place to stay. It's Peter who also went to the Tanner's house. And when he was up on the roof of the Tanner's house, hospitality, in a vision, in that moment of hospitality, in a vision where Peter realizes, hey, God has changed the rules. It's no longer Jews and Gentiles. That his love is all over the place. It's for everybody. So don't call anything unclean anymore. Paul and Silas, it was one of their converts, Lydia, who pleaded with them, stay at my house. Let me put you up. So we see in the early church how exponential growth began came because they were hospitable. But it's not just about opening up our homes. As I mentioned it earlier, I think it's opening up our hearts and our spirits to have a mindset where we look for people that just seem to be on the periphery and we go, how can I change your world? How can I make a difference as a follower of Jesus? So there's challenges, I think, that we face when it comes to this. I thought about it. I think some of the reasons that we have a challenge that we face today is it's partly how we use our houses. I grew up in an era where the front door was never locked, The side door was never locked, and I know things have changed. So I'm not advocating, by the way, you unlock your doors, even though we tend to always forget to lock ours. But uh, we grew up in an era when it was just normal to have people stop over, come in. It was normal for my dad to come home with people and go, put an extra bowl down on the table. We're just going to add a a little more water to the soup. It's amazing how you can stretch things out. And uh, we're just going to love people. Sunday, I can remember Sunday nights after church, we would go home, and Dad would say, oh, by the way, we're having another family. Come and join us. We'd go, well, what, do, what are we going to feed them? You've got six kids. We're hungry. And he go, no problem. We have toast, cinnamon, brown sugar. We're going to have cinnamon toast. I tell you, there's nothing like cinnamon toast. Yeah, see, we got you now. You're all, like, starting to, the saliva's growing here right now. We're going to keep you for two more hours. Um, we, that's all they do. They'd have tea and coffee and cinnamon toast. And they would sit for hours. And as a young child, I could remember just feeling good about the experience. But I've noticed our homes are no longer family rooms. We've turned them into a fortress. That now we tend to lock our doors. 
Now we tend to look for them as a place of refuge rather than a place for refugees. We look at them as our place to get sheltered from the busy, frenzied activity of our life. And, and I understand that. I mean, I live the same thing. I totally understand this. That's why I just, I'm just illustrating. I think there's been a change in culture, so we've got to look for different ways of practicing hospitality. We used to have front porches architecturally. We used to have front porches, and everybody would be out on the front porch. We've taken the porches away. We've built backyards. We've put up fences for privacy to keep everybody else out. So I'm going to challenge all of us, even though our homes may be different, let's learn how to practice hospitality. Let's invite people into our experience so that they will know that God has sent us on mission with him. As I mentioned, I think our schedules make it challenging, so we have to be creative with creating time and opportunity in our schedules. And I also believe there's this misperception of what hospitality is. Those of you that love to open up your homes, you don't have to have a perfect home to be hospitable. You know that, right? Nobody's going to measure what you have or you don't have. See, we get so caught up in what we, people think. Let's forget about all that stuff. In fact, if you've got three kids, you're permission to have a messy house One kid is enough to be permission for a messy house today, isn't it? Just kind of kick all the junk to the corner and bring people in. Open your heart up and make a difference. Now, let's get really, really practical. So if the home, because I know not everybody can do it in their home, how do we practice hospitality? Well, like I mentioned, maybe it's even on a Sunday after church where you look for somebody on the peripheral and you go, do you want to join us for lunch? Would you buy? No, don't do that. Do you want to join us for lunch? And uh, we'll just get to know each other over lunch because we all have to eat, right? Or maybe just, do you want to stay back for a few minutes? Let's have a coffee together. I think one of the great ways that we can practice hospitality is raise our radar of awareness. Look who's in the room or who's around us. Oftentimes, I hear stories of single parents just wishing they had some form of connection to families that are really well-adjusted and strong so that their, their kids can have a good model. Sometimes that's all it is. It's including them and inviting them in to experience maybe one of the activities or if we're going out for the day, have them join us or over at Christmas or one of the special events that you have opportunity to do. We're in a great big city here. So we have a lot of people that travel in for work and universities. So one of the things that we can look at is what about adopting a university student? Because they show up and they're brand new, and it's a new world, a new day. They don't know what's going on, and often they don't eat well. You know that. How many remember your university years? Thank God for craft dinner. I tell you, that's what got us through, wasn't it? So a home-cooked meal, that's like a miracle for them. So adopt a university student. Help them find the local services, whether it's laundromats or some of the sports facilities. Just little things can make a difference. Many of us were in small groups. We call them community life groups. And we encourage you to get in and study the Bible, grow together. But open your group just a bit. Now, if you've been traveling together for years and you've got a really, really solid group, we're not telling you to disband. But why not host an event where you invite two or three other families or individuals to join you and encourage those groups to start a group? But let them see the hospitality. What a difference it would make. And it's not about doing it because Portico does it. It's about being on mission with God because it changes everything when we track our lives this way. Hebrews 13.2, it actually says this. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. 
For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Isn't that cool? There are angels among us. I don't know if we have any in the room, but God just says, who knows? When you practice hospitality, and I don't want to be the one, when Michael goes back to God, the archangel, by the way, goes back to God, and I went, I knocked on Doug's house. He didn't even answer the door. He thought it was a Jehovah Witness. I don't want to have to answer that one. So let's practice hospitality together. Amen? We can do this. We can be great at this. And it's going to change our lives. All right, well, let's wrap it up with this. Matthew chapter 10, 40 to 42. Eugene Peterson, great paraphrase of the scripture, puts it into our contemporary language. Here's what he says. We are intimately linked in this harvest work. Anyone who accepts what you do accepts me, Jesus said, and he accepts the one who sent you. Anyone who accepts what I do accepts my Father who sent me. Accepting a messenger of God is as good as being God's messenger, and accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work that I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of cold water to someone who is thirsty. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice, and you will not lose out on a thing. How amazing is that? So you have the capacity to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Next week, you just might have to give up Portico's chair for someone else. This week, you might want to take a coworker out for coffee and just go, I don't have the house, but I have the heart. And can I listen to your heart? Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, that's where we leave this. Now it has to be your spirit that prompts, stirs, and challenges us in every dimension of our lives. And I know whether it's from a teenager all the way up to a senior, we all have peer groups. We have opportunities. We can invite a friend over, ask our parents, and have a friend come in for a meal. We can be a senior and drop in and visit seniors that are maybe widowed or lonely. All of us can do something to practice hospitality the way you called us to. And as a church, thank you for the privilege of being on mission with you. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.